Lately, we've just seen a pattern where everything is just a bummer. Everything has been so bad. Everything from, um, you know, the Ebola uh, epidemic that literally can become a pandemic. I mean, they're talking, you know, millions of lives affected. Um, there's even a new virus that's attacking the respiratory system here in, in, in our country. And so they're seeing it from coast to coast to coast. And, and uh, you know, the ongoing Israel-Palestinian conflict and how, you know, they were lobbing rockets back and forth. And, and uh, the, the drought in California that's now leading to fires in California. Lord, please protect our mountain, right? This, October's coming. Um, my birthday is at the end of October, and, and for three or four years in a row, we were evacuated off the mountain for my birthday. It's like, oh, let's not do that again. No, no thanks. And, uh, and, so, and you know, so we're seeing fires up and down our state, and then we're seeing floods in Arizona with rain that they've never, ever seen before as far as the numbers. So things are just really, really bad. Now, the Dodgers and Angels did make the postseason, so... There's bright, bright news. But uh, I tell you, you know, it seems like truly dark times. And if it wasn't for, you know, our relationship with um, the creator of the universe, it could be um, easy to be depressed about what's going on around the world. Um, And I can understand that those who don't know the Lord could be drawn to almost any type of comfort. Right. And, you know, however they want to however they want to get through what, what seems to be truly dark and. Now, as, as I was reading through my devotions this week, it really struck out uh, to me in Isaiah 8 that um, Isaiah was seeing the same kinds of issues, right? Um, he didn't have the news and he didn't uh, have the Internet, but he was a prophet. So God was talking to him. And so he was able to share with his people and say, you know what? There's some really bad things going on. And so this is what he says in Isaiah 8, 19 through 20. He says, And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Really? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So having received from the Lord this this news that there's going to be some dark days on the horizon, you know, Isaiah tells his disciples, he says, you know what, in these dark days, there will be a tendency for people to follow the occult. We see the same thing now. And, uh, but Isaiah reminded them in that in these turbulent times, it is our responsibility to go to the law, to go to the testimony. Go to the law, go to the testimony. And so what he's saying is that we need to go to the word of the Lord. We need to make it a priority. We need to be a people of the word. And, um, and, and that's where we're going to go today, right? The word of the Lord is always where the light is. More than 4,000 times throughout Scripture, our, our Scripture reads, Thus says the Lord. Over 4,000 times. So there's lots of direction. There's lots of, of instruction. But we also need to be careful. Second Corinthians says, For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So we need to be careful because Satan can come across as an angel of light. But if we stay in the word, if we are consistent, then we won't be deceived. And so no matter how dark the days of of our troubling times, uh, we won't be deceived. And so as Christians, we need to be people of the word. And that's, that's, that's our goal this morning, is to look at some five ways that we can be people of the word, but also is what that effect's going to have on us. How is it going to change us as we're being poured in, in the Word, as we're learning the Word, as we're applying the Word? So with that, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this time. We, we just love you so much, and we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for seasons, Lord. Just about the time we get tired of one, up pops another one. Just overnight, Father, just amazing how we've moved from summer to fall and Gosh, we just, uh, we just love it. We thank you for uh, where you allow us to live. Also, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to fellowship and to worship and to study your word. We ask that you would help us to apply it to our lives. We uh, lift Pastor Jeff to you as he's teaching in South Bay, God, that you would bless uh, his message and that uh, 
it would be sunk deep in their hearts also. So we lift this to you, and we ask that you would be here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. So, five strategies. Five strategies to become people of the Word. The first strategy is to read it through. Read it through. Okay? If you've never, ever read the Bible from cover to cover, this is my challenge to you. Read it through. The first strategy is to read it through. Read the Word of God in its entirety. The whole enchilada. Don't pick and choose. We call it, don't be a nibbler. Right? A nibbler is like, oh, I want to read a little of this. I want to read a little of that. I want to read a little of this. I want to read, oh, I like this story in Genesis. Oh, I love this psalm. Read it cover to cover. Read the whole thing. And uh, what happens is that you'll acquire a taste. So we want to, don't be a nibbler. We want to read it cover to cover. And uh, we, we'll start to acquire a taste. And when we do that, it helps us to be consistent. All right? Um, every single day. All right? Um, you know, when, when Scripture talks about having the, the Israelites go out to pick up manna every day, and you couldn't save it overnight because it would go rotten, right? And so that's the illustration here is that we need to feed on the Word of God every single day. Um, there are many ways to be systematic. Okay? Systematic is, is a way of organized fashion that you can read through the scriptures. They, uh, you know, they have Bibles that are printed by day. So day one, day two, day three. You can get um, computer programs. Uh, I, I read my Bible um, for my devotions uh, sometimes on my phone, but it, you know, it, it leads you through day by day by day. And every day you'll read a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, some Psalms and some Proverbs. And it takes 15 or 20 minutes but with the coolest thing is that you know it keeps track for you. And if you miss a day, it'll say, uh-uh-uh, you missed this day. And so you can go back, get caught up, but truly you're reading it cover to cover. And uh, there's, uh, there, you know, there's, there's lots of things out there, but uh, it's, it's important to be systematic. Um, as, you're, uh, as you're reading through, like Julie and I, my wife, we'll, on, we're on the same calendar, right? And the same program. And so we'll read and then we'll chat about it. We're like, wow, what did you hear here? What did you see here? Did you notice how, you know, Isaiah said this? And so we'll chat about it. We'll pray about it. We'll mull over it. We'll meditate on it. We'll be thinking through it all day. And it's just, uh, it's just a really, really cool thing to do. It helps to be, you know, immersed in the word all day. And uh, it, it will help us to be people of the word. Um, some people will say, you know what, I understand so much of what I read. And so the important thing here is to pray for understanding. Before you start your devotion, pray for understanding. Lord, really, as I'm going through this, please show me. Okay? Make, it, um, make it obvious to what you have for me. And uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Sometimes you'll read something that you've read hundreds of times before, but this time it's in neon. right? It's, it's in fluorescent lights. It's like, wow, I've never, ever seen it like that. Um, and, and so you pray for understanding, and you know what? You just put your head down and read through, okay? And uh, in um, 2 Kings 3, Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, they were experiencing a time of drought. And uh, so the prophet at the time was Elisha, and they said, you know what, Elisha, you know, what shall we do? And he says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go down into the valley, the dry, hot valley, and I want you to dig ditches. And they said, really? Okay. So they, they were obedient. Elijah said, go down and dig some ditches. So they go down, hot sun, dig ditches. They weren't sure why. The next morning, what happens? They wake up. What's in the ditches? Cool, clear water, right? So once again, it's like, you know, in, in terms of our walk, sometimes we just got to say, you know what, I'm just going to dig some ditches. I might not understand what I'm doing now, but my attitude is is that I know that the Lord's going to bless this time and he's going to help my understanding. So we got to sometimes just dig some ditches, right? And so God gives us another promise. And what a beautiful verse in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. This actually was my Isaiah devotion this morning. It was really cool. It says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, 
that it may give, give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, just as Terry prayed this morning. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I, for which I sent it. You know, it, it's like God's word will do what he desires it to do. And the coolest part as Christians is that we can base our life on that. There's not very many things in this world that we can base our life on, but this is a promise that we can base our life on. Um, another, another strategy is, is that um, as I go through studies, and I see lots of you doing the same thing, is I like to annotate. Annotate's just a fancy way of saying, I like to write in my Bible, right? And so I like to um, circle, I like to underline, I like to make connections, I like to make notes to myself, I like to, you know, what, 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 what the teacher is sharing, I'll, I'll make notes and asterisks and all of those kinds of things. Another thing what I like to do is I like to write questions. I write the word very spiritual, it says, huh, H-U-H with a question mark. What are you saying, Lauren? And so it's kind of fun, it's like... You do a little science project. You're like, okay, I'm going to ask the Lord, what, is this, what does this mean? Why is this here? And so you write your question, and you set the date and time. That's kind of fun. You set the date and time, and then you wait. And you listen, and you hear. And you'll be surprised. You could be sitting in church next Sunday, and Jeff will say, boo, 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 and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. Or you could be listening to the radio, and a study will pop up, and you'll say, Ah, there it is. There's the answer. Or you could be reading in a commentary or reading in your scriptures and reading in your study. And, you know, you know the, answer, the, the Bible answers itself. And so sometimes you'll be reading somewhere else. He's like, oh, there it is. That's, I understand. The, the, part, the, the time that really blows me away is that when you're accidentally, accidentally overhearing a conversation, the conversation that you hear answers your question that you wrote in the Bible. It's like, ooh, talk about goosebumps. That's kind of cool. But, you know, God, God's like that. He likes to answer our questions. He, um, he likes us to understand what we're doing and, and what he's doing. Um, I do have uh, a couple of unanswered questions. The longest unanswered question that I have comes from John 21.11. And it says, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Why on earth? Would John remember the detail of 153 fish? I have no idea. All right? And, and I've been waiting. All right, Lord, 153 fish. I can just, does anybody have a word of knowledge that explains the 153 fish? If you do, just let me know. I'd really like to cross this off the list. Otherwise, this is on the Ask Jesus When I Get to Heaven list. Right? So this is one of those. Why the 153? I mean, that's a lot of fish. But anyway, I, I just never, uh, I still, I don't, I don't get it. Now, I have done some research on it, and there are some pretty good conjectures on what that 153 is all about. And uh, it's, it's pretty fun to read, but I'm still not convinced. Um, another way of understanding what you read is to grab a commentary. Okay, go to the local Bible bookstore, grab a commentary, and pick out, oh, I want to do Ephesians. And so grab a commentary on Ephesians, read through, and you can compare what that's saying, what you're hearing. It gives you a little background. It's kind of a cool thing. Make the Bible your hobby. Make that study of Scripture your hobby. Um, one of the teachers that I have thoroughly enjoyed through the years, his name is Chuck Missler. And Chuck Missler is a Bible study that I've been listening to since the late 80s. And um, it used to be that the technology back then was these little rectangles, these little plastic rectangles They had tape inside and on the tape was things that you could hear. They called them cassettes. Okay? All right? And then you could have a car that would have a cassette player. Amazing. You put it in there, and it plays. The cassettes that I would get would be um, an organization called Firefighters for Christ. And Firefighters for Christ, they had an amazing ministry where this guy set up his garage with a, you know, a million tapes, and he would make copies of studies, and then all you had to do was request them. Hey, could you send me that study on Genesis? And lo and behold, a couple weeks later, you'd show up, and there's the box on the door, and it would be filled with 37 cassette tapes that with the study of Genesis by Chuck Missler. It was awesome. And they wouldn't... Um, they wouldn't charge you. Of course, they would, you know, if you wanted to donate. But it was, it was free. It was this ministry, Firefighters for Christ. Um, just an amazing thing. And so back in the 80s, I did just that. 
And I started going through a series uh, by Chuck Missler on, on Genesis, and it totally opened my eyes to how Scripture is put together um, and, and how it's written and just amazing, amazing things. And so um, what I'd like to do real quick is make an invitation. We did it during announcements, but we're starting on Thursday nights from 7 to 8. We're doing, um, he's got a study. It's called Learn the Bible in 24 Hours. I can't take an hour of Chuck Missler. By the end, my brain is full. It's like, can I, maybe, may, may I be excused? I can't think anymore. And so we're taking it a half hour at a time. So we come at 7, we do a little worship, a little prayer, we press play, we watch Chuck for about 30 minutes, and then we have some discussion questions when we get finished, and we talk about what we've learned, amazing pieces. And so I'd like to uh, open that invitation up. Um, it's a real quick, once again, 7 to 8 o'clock, we're out by 8, and, uh, and um, it's, it's just a really, really good time. Um, one of my favorite studies that Chuck did is a, is a study on the names in the Bible. Okay, um, I'm, I go by Dave, but my real name is David. My mom calls me David when I'm in trouble. And, uh, but it comes from the Hebrew name Dawid, which is derived from the Hebrew DWD, because they don't use vowels, right? And it means beloved. Okay? Now, I'd like to be all spiritual and think that that's cool, except my mom tells me the story that I was named after a clown. So, it, you know, it, it's oh well, right? And so, as we... Um, as we look at names in Scripture, you need to realize that names were given to kids for reasons. All right? they, they wasn't, oh, I like that name. Or you know, they didn't look at the baby list name and say, oh, I like this one and this one and this one. It's like they would name their kids based on how things were going in their life or what they were feeling, what was going on. Or they were told, right? A prophet says, name it here. Or they heard from God, name your baby this. And so these names are, are, are meaningful. And some of them have some really, really cool stories. So the, one of the names that you would read is Methuselah. Now, Methuselah, the, the root comes from Muth, which is, means death, and from Shalak, which means to bring. And so if you put this two together, the name Methuselah means his, his death shall bring. All right? The backstory behind that is that his dad was given a prophecy that says, guess what? When your son dies, there's going to be the great flood that's going to cover the entire earth. Could you imagine every time that kid got sick, right? It's like, wow, you know, we're going to lose our kid and off with, off with the earth. Um, but uh, so, um, and that's exactly what happened. The year that Methuselah died, the flood came. And so, but you know, what's interesting is that Methuselah, Methuselah's life, in effect, was a, a symbol of God's mercy. Okay? Because as you might know, that um, it, it's fitting that the lifetime of Methuselah was the longest lifetime in Scripture. Okay, so that just you know it illustrates God's grace. He's going to wait as long as he can. Right. Um, another name would be Seth. Now, Seth. Uh, Eve talked about Seth. She said, "For God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, who Cain slew." Okay, so Seth means appointed. And then there's Mahalalel. I like to say that Mahalalel. And Mahalalel, uh, it means blessed or praise. And uh, El, which is the suffix, mean, is the name for God. And so Mahalalel means the blessed God. And Enosh, Enosh means mortal, frail, or miserable. Poor kid. Can't you see him out on the playground? Hey, miserable! Right? And so, you know, some of these, these names are kind of bummers. I mean, when you think about Lamech. Okay, it suggests despairing. Okay, it's, it, it comes from a root that we get now, lament or lamentation. And so it means despairing. What a bummer name. Kenan means sorrow. Okay, so things weren't good around the house when Kenan was born, right? Um, Jared comes from the verb yarad, which means shall come down. And then you've heard Noah, and Noah is derived from nakam, which means to bring relief or comfort. Uh, Adam pretty straightforward, means man, right? Enoch means teaching or commencement. And uh, cool names, cool stories, backstories, meanings, where do we find all of these except for David? We find these in Genesis 5. 
you know, a lot of the times we look at this type of scripture. Can you read that? No, because that's, no, I wouldn't expect you to, right? Teacher joke, right? Here, read this, right? But no, 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 because a lot of times in our, in our devotions, we'll look at that and we'll say, oh, that's just a genealogy. Okay, no, 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 no. So but he got, 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 and it's real easy to pass over. And I'll be the, I'll be the first to admit, I did too, okay? Um, it's real easy to pass over, but let me just polish up a jewel for you, okay? Um, bear with me, because I'm going to read this. If you want to open up to Genesis 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verses 1 through 29. Alrighty? It says, uh, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam also had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. That's interesting that he had other sons and daughters, but only these names made it into the genealogy. And at the end, you'll say, wow, that makes things even more amazing. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. Verse 6, when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 850 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. These guys lived a long time back then. Can you imagine? I am 905 years old. That's amazing. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. And after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. Verse 15. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. Verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Okay, that's interesting. So he never died. That's kind of cool when you think about it. Verse 25, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah, and he said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands, caused by the ground the Lord has, has cursed. So, Genesis 5, 1 through 29 here are the names that we just read through. Okay? Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. So there's your genealogy. And then here's their meanings of their names. So Adam, man, Seth, appointed, Enosh, mortal, Kenan, sorrow, Mahalalel, the blessed God, Jared shall come down, Enoch, teaching, Methuselah, his death shall bring, Lamech, the despairing, and finally Noah, rest or comfort. Okay, you're all cool, all right? Big deal, right? Until we read it. So here's all the meanings of these names in the genealogy of Genesis 5. Let's read it aloud. Ready? Man, aloud, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Is that amazing? Is that amazing? If you're not amazed, you weren't paying attention. Okay? Here's the gospel written in Genesis 5. It's hidden in there. 
Okay? Do we base our theology on something hidden in Genesis 5? No, I, I don't. But what I do see this as a fingerprint of God. God's hands are, you know, through our scripture. This is just a fingerprint. This is just something that's just tucked in there amazing. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's cool when we find these kinds of jewels. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah. Did I invite you to this Bible study? Okay. And, yeah. So we're doing a through the Bible, through the Bible study in 48 weeks, half hour at a time, where we're going to see things just like this. Last Thursday, we learned about the equidistant letters. Um, if you've ever gone through this, it's like the first five, Bible, the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. And so um, the, uh, the, uh, the equidistant numbers, 49 letters at a time, uh, you go through this whole piece, and it's really cool because the Torah frontwards and the Torah backwards is all push, pointing to Yahweh. It's amazing, and it's all just tucked in there. So once again, it's just fingerprints of, 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 of our God who's given us our gift of, of our scriptures. So the first strategy we said was to read it through, and so... You know, commentaries and then finally Bible studies. Anytime you can get to a Wednesday night study, our Thursday night study, a home fellowship, obviously Sunday mornings. The more you know about your Bible, the more, you know, people of the word you're going to become. The second strategy for us is to become, uh, you know, a person of the word, a person of of scripture is to pray it in. All right. Um, One thing you need to to really recognize is that... um, our devotions, our time and our word needs to be a two-way communication. All right? So pray it in. You say, all right, I'm jumping into devotions, and this is where I'm at. Lord, please teach me. Ask for his, his Holy Spirit to just illuminate his word. Ask him, and he will. Um, as I study the scriptures, I found personally that when I pray and he speaks to me through his Holy Spirit, and, and it helps to make kind of a focused application. He, he shows me things that I've never seen before. He shows me how I can apply it to my life. And uh, once again, I've had things stand out that I've read over and over and over. And then all of a sudden, it's boom. I've never, ever seen it like that. It's exciting when the Lord speaks to you like that. Another way to pray it in is to actually pray the scriptures. Okay? Scriptures are filled with hundreds and hundreds of promises. And when we pray those promises, we are literally we're, we're praying God's will. Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is alive and powerful, sharper sharper than any two-edged sword. And so when we speak and we pray the scriptures, we're coming into an agreement with God. We're agreeing and praying uh, that his will be done in our lives. We're asking for his power to be released to answer our prayers. You know, maybe sometimes you feel like God doesn't hear your prayers. Some of you are just, you know, glass ceiling kind of thing. Maybe you don't know what to pray for in certain situations. Practice praying the scriptures. When you do that, you're practicing praying for certain things in certain ways, but you're practicing praying the scriptures in his will, in his design. It's just amazing. So, for example, 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And so this passage tells us that we can have confidence of God. Not only does he hear our prayers, but he also promises to answer them because we're praying in line with his will. We're praying his words. We're praying his promises. We're praying his scriptures. So we can pray things like, Father, your word says that we ask anything according to your will, that you hear us. So here is my prayer. Right? So we're praying the scriptures. Praying the scriptures is going to increase your spiritual growth. It's going to just blow your mind how... how um, how close you get to the Lord when you're, when you're praying his word. You actually learn what God says about certain situations and, and praying his, his will, you're going to see his results. It's an amazing thing. Um, I know that you can live a less stressful life when you pray his will, when you pray his scriptures. Because when you're praying, you're turning over any situation. It doesn't matter what it is. You're praying over any situation in... in um, in our lives, we, we just try to, we try to hold on to too much. And, you know, we, we need to give it up. We need to throw it. He, he says, cast your cares, right? He doesn't say, you know, bring them carefully over and lay them at my feet. He goes, oh, no, no, toss them over here. He says, cast them, throw them, get rid of them. Don't carry that stuff. That's what he wants to do. All righty? 
one of the pieces is that, you know, when we talk through technology, and uh, one of the, Richard has a, um, Richard has a, a uh, mouse pad, and the mouse pad says, prayer is the world's greatest wireless connection, right? My network at home stinks, right? But my prayer connection is perfect, right? We got 100 billion megabytes of upload and download, right? It doesn't really matter. So it's, it's a cool, cool thing. Um, third strategy. Third strategy is to write it down. Okay? How many of you journal? Do you journal? Ladies journal, right? Men, let me show you. A journal is a book that doesn't have any writing in it. Okay? All right? So you go to the bookstore and you ask them, could I get a journal? Right? And so it's just a bound book. Pages are blank. And what you do is you just write what you hear, you write what you read, and it goes hand in hand with the pray it in part because you're hearing, you're reading, and then you journal and you make notes to yourself that says, you know what, this is what I need to be praying for. This is a scripture that, that um, you know, gives one of God's promises. And uh, so a journal is an amazing thing. What's even more fun is that a year later you open this up and you read through it and you say, Wow, I asked that question. I prayed that. This is what God's doing. And so, once again, it's just evidence in your life that, um, that are cool reminders, cool reminders of what God's doing in your lives. Um, ever heard of standing stones? Standing stones are cool things that the Jews used to put out in their yard, right, to, re- to remind them of things that God has done in their lives, right? Um, we have some standing stones at our house. Uh, we've been evacuated from uh, our house due to fires for a couple times. And every time we'd come home and we'd find little pockets of burnt pine needles, right? And we're like, wow, Lord, thank you so much for protecting our home. And so we have standing stones that remind us, wow, this, is, this was a reminder of you know, how God protected our home our home, and, and how, you know, we're so fortunate to have his hand uh, on our lives. Um, you know, and as we approach fire season, Lord, please protect this mountain. Absolutely. Um, another type of journal is, uh, this is um, Oswald Chambers. Anybody do OC, Oswald Chambers? Whew. Oz, we call him Oz. We're close. Oz plays hardball. Right? You read this, you are challenged. You're like, wow, I can't believe that you know, that's what the Lord expects. But if you read uh, My Utmost, and that's what this is, My Utmost for His Highest, and then there's, there's a section so that you read, and then you can write according to what you read. And once again, it's so cool to read it you know, a year or two, even more, later, and you say, wow, look at all the things that the Lord has done. And uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing piece. So, um, let me see. We're writing it down. There's the journal. There's the Oswald, My Utmost for His Highest. Uh, you can get it at most any bookstore. Um, the fourth strategy. Fourth strategy is to work it out. So when we're working it out, when we're doing in terms of Christianity, okay, not just put it on your Nikes, but in terms of our walk with the Lord, we want to be able to do... Uh, what the Lord is, is giving us. Don't simply note what he told you to do in your journal and move on. Uh, we need a purpose in our heart that we're going to do what he tells us to do. In Genesis 12, Abraham was told to leave his family and his country for a land that he would later show him. In other words, it wasn't, okay, I want you to go here and then here and then here and then here and then here. What do you do? He says, oh, no, no, here's the first step. And then after you do that, I'll give you further instructions. And then after you do that, I'll give you further instructions. So when we hear from the Lord, we need to purpose in our heart to do what he's told us. Because at that point, when we're obedient to that, that's when he's going to give us more instructions. And that's when things start getting really exciting. Right? So in other words, more instruction would be going to be given to Abraham. So after he obeyed that first one, he... He got more and more. So maybe the Lord's told you to write a letter, an email, or phone call, somebody that's been on your heart, somebody that's been on your mind. Maybe just a few minutes ago he said, you know what, it'd be a really good thing for, for you to read the entire Bible. Right? Over the next year, I want you to read the entire Bible. So 
Purpose that. Do that. Make it a note and then say, okay, so here's my strategy. This is how I'm going to do it. Um, as he brings things to mind, be specific to do them. Make sure that you work it out, for it is then you're going to receive some more. Um, be sure to pray for each other. Pray for each other knowing and pray for each other secretly, right? Um, it's kind of cool. Uh, as the Lord brings to mind people's faces, pray for them, okay? There are things going on that there's prayer needed. And after that, share your answers to prayer. Hey, I was praying for you the other day. How is this going? Or this is what I was praying for and this is what happened. It's really cool to share those kinds of things with people who don't know the Lord because they're like, wow, here's a day-to-day, moment-by-moment walk with our God who works in our lives on a daily basis. Um, pray for those people by name. Pray for them. Let them know, hey, this is what I was praying for you and this is the scripture that I was praying for you. That scripture automatically becomes very, very special. All right. Fifth strategy. Fifth strategy is to pass it on. Alrighty. Um, one of my trips on my bucket list is to go to Israel. And so uh, one of the things that I'd like to do is to visit the Sea of Galilee, and I'd like to visit the, the Dead Sea, only because I'd like to contrast the two. Right? So the Sea of Galilee is full of life, full of fish. There's lots of things going on. And then the Jordan River feeds that lake, and then it continues to go through the nation, and then it ends up at the southern end in what's called the Dead Sea. And it's like, wow, why is it dead? Well, it's dead because there's no place for the water to go. Everything ends up there, and it stops. And so there's no place for it to flow out. It's very stagnant. All the, um, well, just everything that causes, like, the alkaline levels to rise makes it so that it's uninhabitable for any living thing. And... Really, that's kind of an illustration on how we become a stagnant Christian is that, you know, we take in Bible study after Bible study after Bible study and we never make an effort to pass it on. We never make an effort to to teach what we've been learning. And so in order to pass it on, we need to be like the Sea of Galilee and, and not the Dead Sea. We need to find some way to share what we've learned, whether it's with the neighbor or with the kids at youth group or with the Sunday school or whatever and whoever. We need to find some way to share of what we learned. You know, some people will say, oh, I can't teach the Bible. I can't teach it. The Bible's too complicated. What you need to realize is that most of the Bible is, is made up of words that are no more than five letters long. Not everything is pronounced like mahalalel, right? And so when we do those kinds of things, you know, uh, the average word is five letters long, and some of the words that you get to teach when you're sharing scripture are things like grace and peace and faith and glory and Jesus. So it's not that complicated, but it's important to share what you have. The best promise when we're talking about sharing is to realize that you have a tutor. All right? You have somebody right next to you. You have a tutor. John 14:26 gives you this promise says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You have a tutor. You have somebody with you. All you have to do is ask. So many times, I'm in my head, I'm chatting with somebody, and in my head I'll say, Lord, give me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to share. Ask, let me know what I need to ask. And he he just flows through you. You open your mouth and you're, you're saying things that, wow, I never thought of that. It's just amazing the way the Holy Spirit will work through that. And uh, so he, he, he prepares you. He'll teach you all things and he'll bring to remembrance all the things that, uh, that he has said to us. So all of those pieces, all of those pieces that will make us to become more uh, people of the word, are, we would call as worship. Right? We, we term as worship. And so a lot of the times, you know, we have an amazing worship team here, right? And it's just so fun to see, you know, they'll bounce around. We get new faces up here, and, and, but they still sound amazing. And so singing to the Lord, you know, we call that worship. But there's lots of other things that we consider worship. Studying his word would be considered uh, a form of worship. Praying is another form of worship. Giving our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, that's a form of worship. Serving others is another form of worship. Uh, 
Loving others is another form of worship. Monthly, we do communion, which is a form of worship. And so all of these things uh, are designed by God to bring us closer to him and to cause us to think more like he thinks. So these are all things that we need to practice because it makes us a balanced Christian. It gives us all the tools, everything that we need. That way we become more like him. Okay? Because we become like who we worship. We become like who we worship. Remember the story of Jesus. He's chatting with the Samaritan woman around the well. And uh, in John 4, he asked her for some water. And she asked, you know, what are you doing even talking to me? We're not allowed to be talking. And Jesus said, you know what? If you understood who I am, says, uh, you know, she would have access to the living water. Remember that conversation? Um, she doesn't get it until he reminds her of her past. And what does she say? She says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Right? And so she says, if that's the case, let's talk about something important in my life. She says, where are we supposed to worship? Because there was a thing between the Jews and the Samaritans in terms of where to worship. And Jesus, he, he redirects her thought process and says, oh, no, no, no. It's not where, it's how. It's not where you worship, it's how you worship. And in John 4.21 he says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what did we learn from this passage? Number one is that God, he seeks worshipers. Okay? God seeks worshipers. He's looking for us. God seeks worshipers. And so there's nothing in Scripture, no place in Scripture does, um, do we read that God requires anything of us as kids of Christ. He doesn't require anything except worship. That's all he wants from his kids. He desires worship above all else. Okay? He doesn't want anything. There's, there's nothing else. So whenever you feel far from him, Worship him. Whenever you feel like he's not around, worship him. He's going to come get you. He's going to come seek you. Um, The Father is seeking those worshipers. So what is the purpose of worship? So the purpose of worship, the goal, is to magnify, exalt, love, and adore the only true God. And that's Jesus. That's our our to-do list. Right? And that's why, to magnify, exalt, love, and adore the only true God, Jesus. Um, when we do that, it's our expression of his worthiness. It's, it's when we worship, we join the angels, we join, join the cherubim, we join the sheriff, seraphim, the prophets, the apostles, and the host of heaven falling down on their faces and exalting the only one and true God. In uh, Revelation 7, I'll read it to you. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory, glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Right? And so worshiping God helps us to create those God-like and Christ-like characters. And what also is it? guess what? It's like heaven practice, right? We get to practice what we're going to be doing for eternity in heaven. Our worship must show our adoration and our loyalty to God. Um, we need to thank him and appreciate his, his, uh, his grace in providing us a way to escape the bondage of sin. When you think about it, how, how trapped we are. Um, so we get that salvation that he so much wants to give us. You know, the, the nature of worshiping God is, is the equivalent of bowing our souls. Bowing our souls. It's, it's that whole idea of that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, we sing, we sing the song, Humble Yourselves in the Sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. A few years ago, we were watching the diving competition at the Summer Olympics, and it just really struck me how you know, the divers would come off that three-meter and they do their twists and turns, and then they hit the water, and where I would make a cannonball and empty the pool, they barely make a splash. It's amazing. And they get so excited, and they come out of the water, and they're pounding, fist pumping, they're all excited. And then, you know, 
The next team comes up, does the same thing. What struck me was the difference when the Chinese contingency would do their dives. They'd climb up, they'd do their dives, not make a splash. They'd climb out of the water, but instead of fist pumping and splashing, what did they do? They would bow to the judges. And that's kind of it. It was, a, it was an illustration to me. It struck me how you know, that should be us in terms of how we worship the Lord. Just a, we, we, you know, just a bowing of our souls. This is the way I thought about it. Now, Scripture doesn't say that we can worship him any way we want, but we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the word must makes it an absolute. Okay? It's, not, it's not optional. Um, here the word must is expressing that in the spirit and truth is the only way to acceptably worship God. So that needs to be our heart. So what does that mean? Well, worshiping God in spirit means that it must be done from the heart. Okay? So it, it, you know, it, comes, it comes from our heart, not from our head, not from a knowledge base, but it comes from our heart. It comes from the love that we have for the Lord. And worshiping God in truth means that it must be done according as God has specified in the Bible. You know, it's pretty cool. That's why we say read from cover to cover, because there's no chapter on giving. There's no chapter on baptism. There's no chapter on any specific thing. But all of those pieces, all of these descriptions of worship is spread throughout Scripture. And so when you read the beginning to the end, you're going to get that whole story, that whole picture, and you're going to get all of those examples of worship but you're going to get them in so many different ways, so many examples, so many pictures. Worship is a time when we pay a deep, sincere, and awesome respect to the Lord. In Acts 17, 24 through 25, it says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life, breath, and all things. We become like who we worship. Okay? When we worship God, we develop such traits. Ah, it's kind of nice. We worship God. This is what happens to us. How does it change us? We develop such traits as forgiveness, tenderness, justice, righteousness, purity, kindness, and the greatest of these is love. And so it's so important. We become like who we worship. The worship that, um, that we do changes us into Christ's likeness. Rather than being conformed to the world, his son conforms us to himself and we become like who we worship. He builds us into the character and with the gifts of the spirit. If we worship drugs, we become depressed or burned out. If we worship work, we become restless and frantic. If we worship people, we become selfless and dependent. So, once again, we become like who we worship. But if we worship Jesus, we become a Christ-like person. We'll be loving, forgiving, joyful, peaceful, patient, trustworthy, faithful, steadfast, self-giving, and serving. We become like who we worship. We earlier read Isaiah 55. And uh, it's just a beautiful verse that we can never tire of hearing. You know, it's just so encouraging to hear that God's word is always going to accomplish his will. It's going to accomplish his purpose. That's the promise. It's wonderful to know that we don't have to worry about results and outcomes. Right? It's just there. The promise is there. But if we stop at the end of verse 11, like we did here, we don't really answer the question that it leaves. What then is the ultimate purpose for the word of God? What's it for? Right? Let's continue to read. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What an amazing description of a time when all of creation is going to bow to worship our God. It calls us to recognize that the ultimate purpose for the word is worship. Alrighty? It's its intended product of, of this scripture is to be God-honoring and life-changing. We should change because of it. So how does this God-honoring and life-changing product take place? Once again, keep reading. 
Verse 13, he says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. It shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not cut off. Remember back in verse 10, it talked about the overarching metaphor was the rain and the snow. And then, strangely, this passage says that when the rain falls down, what happens to the thorn bush? It becomes a cypress tree. What happens to the briar? It becomes a myrtle tree. Okay? Now, a couple of years ago, some animal deposited a blackberry seed in my front yard. And over the, over the last three years, it has grown and grown. They place it nicely. It's right in front of the sprinkler head. All right? But the rain and the snow and the sprinkler has caused this thing to go huge. Right? And that's what you would expect. You would expect a, you know, a briar bush, if you water it and, and it gets the sunlight, it's going to make lots of you know, leaves and yummy berries. It is, it is perfect. And, but lots of thorns. It's kind of a hassle to trim around. But that's not the case with the word of the Lord. That's not the case. What happens here? When the rain falls on the thorn bush, it actually becomes something organically different. It becomes a different species. It's a different type of plant. You know, add water, it normally grows. Add the word of God, and it changes. It changes fundamentally, specifically, and personally. It's kind of like us. You add the word of God to us, what happens? We change fundamentally, we change specifically, and we change personality. When the, whole, when the word of God is faithfully taught and learned, by uh, the people of God, and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it's sunk deep within us, what do we do? We change. We become different people. We're not who we used to be. People see the change in us and wonder if we've become a different species, right? Who are you? What have you done with my husband? Right? That's, that's kind of the way the change of, of the word does. Complainers become thankful, right? Angry people become peacemakers, Fearful people become courageous. Thieves become givers. Demanding people become servants. And best of all, sinners become saints. The Word of God does that. The ultimate purpose of the Word of God is heart and life transformations. Family, we need to be people of the Word. We need to be like who we worship. So we need to be people of the Word because we become like who we worship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the collection of godly servants who teach this entire family your word each and every week, each and every month, all year long. We pray, Father, a special blessing on each of them. And thank you for the transformations that you've caused in us and through us by your word. We ask that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for your word that we can just never quench, that we always want to be in your word and it would continue to change us day in and day out. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we lift this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen.